The scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews 2. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of him, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels, you crowned them with glory and honor, and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. But the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word that's living and active, and we pray even now that you would open our hearts, that we would hear it and receive it, and we would grow in our love and obedience because we know you more. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we have a, a guest preacher, a friend of mine named Jeff. Um, Jeff, would you come on up, please? Uh, Jeff and I have known each other for about five or six years. We actually met uh, overseas in a very different place, and he's probably the first person I ever met who I felt like he was my twin and that we had been lost at birth or something. Um, we just have a lot of similarities, and um, I just am very thankful for him. Uh, he works in the same organization I work with and uh, helping those in our organization with what we call member care. And so I'm happy to, re to present Jeff and, and let him bring the word to us today and hope at the end of the service you would uh, just reach out and, and greet him. Uh, he's a great guy to know. Brothers and sisters, it's good to be here. I've heard about this congregation for years. My cousin John uh, and Vanjie Wyckoff used to be here for a while, and uh, I know Linnea and Joe from college, and so it's just it's neat to see what God is doing here in Astoria and his faithfulness to you for so many years. It's a joy to come and to open God's Word. As you're going through the Psalms, we come to Psalm 8, and instead of going directly to Psalm 8, I'm looking at Psalm 8 through the lens of Hebrews chapter 2. You see, this Psalm 8 is a reflection on what it means to be made in the image of God. 
In Genesis, it says God made man and woman after his own image and his likeness. And the psalmist is reflecting back on that in Psalm 8. And so what does it mean to be human? One of my jobs is not only to, to care for people working cross-culturally, but to solve disputes. And so whenever there's a problem or friction, oftentimes I'm called in to, to do mediation. And I find that there's three major worldviews, and Jim actually does a class on this. We just spent a week observing what they do at Hillside, and, and it's just a delight to see all those cultures here in New York. I, I just was sitting on the corner in Jackson Heights and saw a Japanese restaurant, two Nepalese restaurants, a Tibetan restaurant, Honduran restaurant, Colombian restaurant, all within the same block. And then a Tito's Halal, halal taco stand and another taco stand with ramen. So just as a neat amalgamation of cultures and Jim talks about three worldviews, and oftentimes I find that when I'm doing reconciliation, especially across cultures, that it's often these worldviews underneath that are clashing. The first worldview is innocent guilt. Traditionally in the West, we see things in terms of the rule of law. Things are right or they're wrong. They're black or they're white. This emphasis is given as great strides in human rights. It's a given voice to the oppressed in the face of tyranny. It's made advances in education and science. You see the benefits of that still in our culture. But postmodernism has started to deconstruct this idea of absolute truth, right and wrong. And even though that's true, we still have this we cling to this desire to be right. Where do we get that desire to be right? That there is something just. I think it's woven into the fabric of who we are because it reflects the character of God. God is good. He is just. He is right. But oftentimes we go to links to prove our righteousness. And that's the downside. The flip side is our guilt we're trying to assuage our guilt and defend ourselves and say, I'm not really that bad, and pile up all of the good things that we're doing. Oh, you just misunderstood me, right? We don't like to say, I was wrong. I saw this the other day when we were pulling off the highway, and we were stuck in traffic for, I don't know, 15 minutes, and then some guy cuts in a thousand feet right before the exit, right? And what, what's your response? Ah, what is that guy doing? I've been waiting for a quarter mile or half a mile for all these minutes, and, and he just cuts right in. But then on the way home from work, oh, man, there's a traffic jam here. I'm going to cut in. And we do the very thing that we just judge somebody else on. 
The good thing about the worldview of innocence and guilt is that it, it taps into the human need to be good and to have a voice. We also have a worldview of power and fear. Power is an important tool. Power protects. Power gives the freedom and lays out that framework for a flourishing of society. And yet when power is corrupted, it starts to use other people. It, it uses fear to manipulate and control. Power is something that we, we, we just often live in fear of all the bad things that are going to happen and all the things. And I think this is growing in this uncertain world where we have so much upheaval and we're looking for something safe and something secure. Oftentimes I've noticed in other cultures that are predominantly power and fear, they're looking for protection and they often trade maybe their personal, personal preferences or their rights in order to be protected. But then they find somebody underneath them in that power scheme and they are trying to use them to get their needs met. One pastor in Asia gave me this illustration. He, we were walking through the market and he showed me there's a barrel of crabs and in that barrel there was no lid. And yet no crab ever escapes from that barrel, right? They're all pulling each other down. And as they pull each other down, nobody's getting out. This system of fear and power, it's everybody's grasping for that power and control. And we're not able to advance, to, to, to flourish. So we're looking in for that need for agency, purpose, and protection but it needs to be tempered by goodness. Honor and shame is probably the most predominant. And, and oftentimes, it, in an honor-shame culture, it's usually more of a collective culture. And in that collective culture, it's who's in and who's out. It's all about belonging. And you receive honor either in the States and in the West, we often do achieved honor. It's by my accomplishments, what I accomplish, what I do, what I drive, what I wear, where I live, where my kids go to school, getting that corner office, that position. So we have many ways to, to bolster our sense of honor, that I'm better than everybody else, or that I'm okay. In a lot of cultures, that honor is not achieved, but ascribed. It's something given to you. It's who you know, what family you're born into, what is your last name? What are your relationships? What's that network? The family is so important, and you don't want to bring dishonor to the group, to the family. Why is that so important? Because if you dishonor the group, you're always in, in danger of being cast out, of being excluded. And so you have, you're in or you're out. And I think we really look, even when we don't do honor and shame culture per se, we often look to our relationships to try to decide, am I okay? Am I doing well? Do I belong? 
What does this person think of me? All of these are elements of what it means to be made in the image of God. You see, the God is good, and we reflect his character in the world, that goodness. He's called us to be his representatives and to reflect who he is. We see that in the psalm. It begins and ends. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, that's what being human really is, is to declare the praises of who God is and to reflect him to the world around us. We were made for worship. Several weeks ago, you guys looked at Psalm 73. And it says that the psalmist gets disoriented when he's looking at the prosperity of the wicked. But then when he enters into heaven... He enters into heaven, and, or not to heaven, and he enters into the sanctuary, and everything's made clear, and he sees, oh, you are God. You are huge, and it reorients his life to what's important. And he says, I was a brute beast. I wasn't acting human when I was denying you and not looking to you for my existence. That's a little bit of what David is doing here. He's sitting here looking at the stars and he's saying, wow, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And he's looking at all these stars and the beauty and the majesty and how God's fingers made that all. This week, Jim took us out to walk along the Gantry Plaza Park. And we were looking at the lights, you know, of Manhattan across the, the water. And I was amazed that we could actually see a couple stars, right? We could see the moon. I grew up in Arizona, and, and you just walk outside on a desert night, and it's clear, and it's just overwhelming to see the number of stars and galaxies. So often our lives are like that. We get that light pollution. We have so much going on that we forget God. We forget that he's out there, just like we forget those stars are out there. We get so distracted. And yet, David gets this moment of clarity where he just sees how awesome the solar system is and the stars and the galaxies and the universe. And he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Brothers and sisters, we are never more human than we are when we are worshiping and exalting the name of our sovereign God, the maker of the stars. We reflect this character and is built into creation. You see in Genesis, the passage that we read, that you have six days and a rest. We're given one day to stop and to look at the stars. One day to reorient our lives and to say, God, you are real. You have spoken. You care for me. This is a reset so that we can stop and see who we are, where we're going, and what God has called us to be and to do. We see this interplay throughout both Genesis 1 and Psalm 8, between the sovereign power of God at work and his intimate love. 
Genesis 1.1 says that creation was formless and void. And if you notice, in the first three days of creation, he's creating the domain, the form. You have light and dark, air and sea, and you have the land separated from the sea. Days four, five, and six, he's filling the void. Okay, he has, in the day, the dark and light, he has the sun, moon, and stars. And then he does the birds and the fish for the air and the sea, and then he puts man and animals. And all this, in this refrain, there's God made it and it was good. God made it and it was good. God made it and it was very good. When he gets to humans, he says, you and I are very good because we reflect, of all of creation, we re most reflect his character and who he is. But there's also something interesting in that pattern when he says to Adam and Eve, you're made in my image. He makes them male and female. Okay, so they're different and yet they're one. That, that's a mirror of the Trinity and how God works together. He's different persons, but one being. There's an intimacy there. It's, you know, that fruitfulness. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Okay, I know, you know, you guys know how that works, right? There's an intimacy. There's a, a, a complete knowing the other person with nothing to hide. It says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He had that intimate relationship with them. They were naked and knew no shame. So what are some of those implications that we have this intimacy? God made us to relate with one another. And as we relate with one another, not only as husband and wife, but he has put us in a body together. And that intimacy of how we relate with one another can either reflect the glory of God and his character or it's reflecting something perverted, something broken. Same with the power. We are meant to represent his power. Think of you know, when we talk about the image of God, think of uh, many of you way back in the 80s and before that, you have these statues of Lenin and Stalin, right? They were an image saying, hey, better watch out. The Communist Party's in charge here. Do you remember Saddam Hussein? In the, in the, after the second Gulf War, they pulled down those, those statues of Saddam Hussein because that image was representing his rule and his power. When I go overseas in a lot of these countries, the faces of their political party members are plastered all over. Why? They're in charge. They're ruling. Better watch out. Well, you and I are like that. We represent God's rule and reign on the earth. God has power and he's given us that calling to, to reflect him in the way that we govern creation. It says that he's put all of the birds and the fish and all the animals and everything under our control. 
He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now this isn't an extortion in, in getting all we can from creation. In chapter 2 it says to cultivate and care for the earth. We're using that power to, to allow things to flourish, to protect it, to give it structure. We do that in our homes, don't we? We, we have to have that balance of intimacy, okay, of, of coming near and, and being on the level of our children, but we don't lose our power or authority. God never gives up his sovereign power and control. But he became vulnerable and intimate in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's what differentiates God from all the other religions of the world. We are working this, we met a lot of Muslims this week. And in Islam, God is sovereign, he's totally transcendent. but he doesn't really give a care for mankind. There's no intimacy. And in the person of Jesus Christ, he, Jesus never loses his sovereignty. He never loses his authority. And yet he becomes like us in every way. Even tempted, it says. I want to ask you a question. What makes a good superhero? I think it's tied to some of these same themes. A good superhero has to be powerful. But a good superhero is also relatable. It's somebody that I can identify with. I think they ran into this problem when they did the first Marvel movie about Thor. Thor was so perfect that he wasn't really relatable. So in the, in the subsequent generations of films, he gets fat, he has family problems, and, it, and it's like, they, you know, they had to tarnish that so that we can relate to Thor. I think that's why Spider-Man's so popular, right? Spider-Man's just a guy like us. Yeah, he has these cool powers, wouldn't that be cool to have those powers? And yet, he struggles with having a job, getting the girl. He's like us. But I think we've also lost in, in this whole superhero universe, a good superhero is good. We've lost that idea of the truth, justice, and the American way, and, and there's this morphing of all these bad motives and revenge and and, and superheroes are becoming dark in this mixture. That's not our superhero. In the Hebrews passage, it's interesting, in Hebrews 2.10 it says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. In the reading, they said pioneer. That word author, pioneer, can also be champion. 
Somebody that goes before and represents. If you think of David and Goliath, David was the champion for the people of God. And and if David wins, the people of God win. If Goliath wins, the Philistines win. And it says that Jesus is our champion. And in this text, he goes through and shows that Jesus fulfills all those things that we should have been because that image of God was tarnished in the fall. We traded the truth of God for a lie. We decided that we don't want God's authority and we went our own way. Instead of having dominion, we're filled with fear, fear of punishment. Instead of that intimacy of walking with God and with one another, Adam and Eve felt shame and they hid themselves. Brothers and sisters, we have so many ways that we hide ourselves. I think Jim talked about this last week in Psalm 32, that that if we cover our sins, our bones will waste away. I remember the the movie Joker illustrates this. If you saw that movie, I I love that movie and I hate it at the same time. And I couldn't figure out why. And I think it's because it ties to these very same points. You see, Joker had a message. He he, he had a voice and he wanted to say, stuff isn't right. But all throughout the, the movie, he kept saying, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. He was feeling that lack of voice. Nobody's listening to his message. He's feeling powerless. Those kids, he's dressed up as a clown to draw attention to the store, carrying the sign, and these kids steal his sign and knock him down, and and he's just humiliated and treated like, like dirt. He's feeling that lack of power. And then he longs to belong. In this movie, um, Thomas Wayne, Batman's dad, was apparently his half-dad. That Thomas Wayne had had a son through the Joker's mom who was was his maid. And he's longing for that belonging. And Thomas Wayne, or whatever, Mr. Wayne is, is pushing him away and rejecting him. And he's saying, no, I want to belong. I want to belong. And he sees the Robert De Niro character on TV and he has this whole imaginary world of being part of his family and his world. And then he feels the power of killing somebody. And he has that false sense of power. All of a sudden, everybody's listening to him and he becomes the spokesman for whatever's wrong in Gotham. And finally, he, he gets to a point where he's feeling, look at these are my people. Everybody puts on a mask and joins him. Brothers and sisters, we all have masks. And there's longing in the hearts of every one of us. Whenever I do evangelism, oftentimes what I'm doing is looking for those longings in their heart, the thing, like the joker, the things that they desire that are good, that tap into who God made us. And here's how you're, here's the mask you're wearing and how you're trying to accomplish that. How's that working for you? And as we look at our hearts, we have to acknowledge the same thing. Oftentimes we are looking 
we, we feel we're called to be superheroes. We're called to have power. We're called to have this connection, this intimacy. We're called to have this purpose and to be good. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the glory we yearn for, and how's it working for us? Well, the, the amazing thing is that Jesus is our hero. In verse 14, it says, Since the children of flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and to free all those whose lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Jesus conquers fear. We don't have to be afraid. He gives us the power for a new life. He's relatable. He gives us a new family. It says Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. For this reason, he was made like his brothers in every way so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. We're part of God's family. We are in we belong not because of our goodness, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. He achieved it. He achieved that honor, and that honor is ascribed to you because you are a part of his family. Remember I said in honor and shame, it's, it's all about who you know. You're in. You know the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that access is to power because you can request when I'm in another country if I know the president, I can get something done because he has access to power. Brothers and sisters, as part of God's family, you have access to the very throne room of God. But he also is making us good. It says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are being made holy are of the same family so that Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. How do we experience this holiness? We spend time with him. There's a strange verse, and I'll, I'm over time, so I'll end with this. In Psalm 8, it says, From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. What a strange thing that out of the lips of children... You've ordained praise. So, so that's part of our goal is to glorify God and make his name great. Even little kids can do it. You think of the enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So you have proclaiming and silencing. Power, no power. Years ago in, in New York somewhere, um, there was a, a famous pianist and statesman named Paderewski. And to a young mother's horror, when the time came for the pianist to play, her four-year-old son was sitting at the piano. This big Steinway, and everybody's looking, and it's like, oh, how embarrassing. How embarrassing for the mother. What, is, what are they going to do to the kid? And he starts playing, twinkle, twinkle, little star. And Paderewski, this great maestro, comes and he, and he sits next to the boy and he wraps his arms around him and starts playing a beautiful accompaniment to Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. 
Brothers and sisters, that's what Jesus does for you and I. We are like those little children. We are meant to be powerful. Oftentimes we don't see it. But he is working in you and giving you the power. We often don't feel like we belong in our, in our unity is so frail, but he is the one that is working in you, uniting you with your brother and sister. He has put you in this family to make his name great. Be encouraged. Jesus is doing it. Oftentimes we don't feel good because we know that sin in our lives, but he is the one that is making us holy. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged because you are becoming more and more human every day because of the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are our hero and that you are the maestro. You are the one that is at work in us, empowering us, helping us belong, giving us that, that goodness and purifying all of our sin. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.